Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast where we focus in on teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what I call the TLC of business. Hi, I'm Greg Gregory, your host of the Teamwork Advantage, and today we're fortunate to have with us Susan Fitzell. Susan is a uh, speaker, professional trainer, and has uh, I've had the privilege to know for probably about 15 years now. Susan started off in education, and with over 30 years now as an international speaker, author, and coach, Susan has worked closely with educators, students, high-performing employees to discover their personal learning preferences, and I know all about that, so that they can learn fast and achieve more. She zeroes in on what motivates employees so they can do their jobs, get everything done, break through self-imposed limitations. She inspires, motivates audiences with her practical, productive, and efficient learning strategies, as well as her positive, uplifting approach. Susan's philosophy is quite simple. Can't is a four-letter word. Believe you can and do great things by using your talents and strengths. She is a black belt in kickboxing and studies the art of Kung Fu. Her family prides themselves in being self-imposed geeks. Two adult children have both earned degrees in mechanical engineering and using the strategies that she shares with her clients. Welcome, Susan. Oh, wow. It's great to see you here on the Teamwork Advantage. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. I love your podcast. Thanks. I really appreciate it. You You and I have known each other for so many years (laughs) now. And uh, we've talked on Zoom. We've met on Zoom. We've had fun. Um, But this is the first time we've done something quasi formal. So it's great to be here. And I know a lot of your background, but share with us a little bit for those listening how did you get started in where you are today? So many people start us off at step six. I want you to take us back to at least step two, if not all the way back to step one. Well, I've been thinking about that lately. What really um, got me started? And it probably started when my sister was in kindergarten. Um, Because my sister learned differently. And during that, those years, and when we're talking, you know, the, the 70s and 80s, there wasn't much understanding about different learners. Yeah. And so I remember knowing that my sister was smart and sensitive and had a lot of, you know, she was, she was a beautiful person. And yet mm-hmm. she was so um, beat up in school, not only by kids, but by the teachers, because she didn't learn like everybody else. And sometimes when I think about where my life has gone, I think it, I really do think it started there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really wanted to be an actress at, at, when I grew up. Uh, I started wanting to be an actress when I was in the fifth grade. Uh, that didn't pan out. I just knew I'd be on a stage and I ended up being on a stage, just a different kind of stage. I, what, I understand I, that. Yeah. So what I ended up doing was becoming a teacher. And I wanted to, I wanted to help um, students who struggled in school. And I spent my entire career learning how people learn, understanding what motivated 
students and adults, um, including my own kids, being that I'm a mother of two, and really realizing that we, we live in a world that has a deficit mindset. And what I mean by that is starting in kindergarten now, sometimes in preschool, we're looking at what's wrong with kids, what they can't do. And then this follows them throughout their life. Now I'm, I'm saying, where did I get started? I got started because of this problem. I just didn't identify it and label it the whole way. I mean, this is something mm-hmm. I'm coming to terms with now. And when I was a high school teacher, I saw such talent in so many of the students that I was working with because I was a special education high school teacher that weren't recognized by standardized tests. Those talents didn't show up um, in, you know, the, the regular way that schools operated in, in determining, you know, can you pass a test? Can you write an essay? Can you read quickly? Can you keep up with everybody else? And instead of focusing on talent and the skills that students brought to the table, it was always a focus of what they couldn't do. And where I recognized students' brilliance, and I've been I've spent most of my career now working with teachers to help them see and nurture and foster students' brilliance to, to bring out the best in them, schools, and then eventually the workplaces, work corporate, focus on, even in performance review, what are you doing wrong? You might say what you're doing right, but what are you doing wrong? What, what can you improve? And, you know, oh, you're doing great with this, but, you know, and you know the but thing, right? Oh, you're doing great. Yeah. But, you know, you need to improve this. And it it, it breaks my heart. Honestly, it breaks my heart because what I'm now seeing after decades of working with gifted and talented students, gifted and talented from what I could see, they're the Elon Musks. They're the, they're the, um, the, the, the Steve Jobs. They're the Bill Gates. They're the Richard Bransons. They're the, the. Um, Eilish, the singer, I'm dropping it, yeah. Billie Eilish, yeah. you know, they're the Ed Sheeran who used to stutter. They're the people who President Biden used to stutter. Yeah. Just when you, when you look at, they all struggled in school because maybe they couldn't, you know, to some degree, there were different things they struggled with because they weren't like everybody else. Mm-hmm. They weren't the norm. And, and then, then, as I started to work, I would be sitting on the airplane and, you know, especially if I got to, to sit in first class, I was near an executive and then I'd hear their story and it was the same. We have these employees and da, 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 da. And I realized this same problem exists in corporate and I can help. And then I started to work with people in the corporate sector. So how do we get, how do we get the, the teams, the, that are in a corporate situation mm-hmm. to be flexible enough to work with people who have different working styles or learning styles and, and personalities and quirks and oddities and all those things human beings bring to the table. How do we bring out the best in everyone on the team so that we can all benefit from it? And whether it's a team in a in an educational sector, if it's a team in an association, if it's a team on a, a board or a committee or a team in the workplace, 
you've got people working together and you're going to get more out of those people if you are diverse in thought and intellect and in basically what you call cognition. Right. Neuro diverse, you know? Yeah. And that's the word you use a lot is neurodiverse. Yes. You know, um, and I've often talked about it in my studies and I've said the phrase in workshops over the years, I was in the part of class that made the upper half possible. Um, I did not do well on standardized tests, but all of a sudden in uh, my junior year of high school, I actually school, my GPA was a 3.98. Right. Cause you're bright. Because I had different teachers. And I had a group of teachers that all aligned up the same way who understood me. And the students that were getting A's and B's before with some of the same teachers were now getting B's and C's where I was getting the A. Yeah. Because it was a different style of learning. Yes. And it's so powerful to recognize that. Yes. So when we learn, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. So when we talk about neurodiverse training neurodiverse teams we all have to bring a certain skill set to the table there's no doubt about that i speak on teamwork all the time about bringing different skill sets we can't all be a tom brady i mean otherwise you're going to get sacked every day so we can't do that we have (laughs) to bring different skill sets so is that kind of where you're going with neurodiverse teams or can you explain neurodiverse teams in a little bit more simplistic way for people like me <laughs> okay. So yes, it is where I'm going with neurodiverse teams. So we're all familiar, you know, everyone I think is familiar with diversity. When we think of diversity and diversity on teams, we're often thinking of, you know, the, the, the common ones we all mm-hmm. know about race, ethnicity, um, maybe physical disabilities, um, gender, and, and so on and so forth. We all know about those. What is often hidden and unseen is diversity of cognition. And diversity of cognition, most people, when they get a job, they hide it. There the, are our, our employees who are, and, and sometimes you know, they're up in the management sector, there are dyslexic employees. There are what, what sometimes we refer to as our high-functioning autistic. And, mm-hmm. I, and I know high-functioning right now is a con- contradictory word. There's a lot of people that don't like using that word with it's autism. also a relative word yes however if i a lot of times if i say autistic people are thinking of the student that's the person that's nonverbal and rocking and, and that'll just confuse them too so mm-hmm. i'm trying to balance that so people understand when i mean autistic a lot we used to say asperger's and people got that but that word has gone away from our vocabulary it's no longer used so now we call it on the spectrum and there's there's tremendous brilliant and skill there. We're talking about people with OCD. We're talking about people that might have dyspraxia. There's all these different things that in school are labeled disabilities. And now we're realizing they're not, you know, there's this whole thing out. We don't need to be cured. We just think differently. Our brains work differently. Our cognition is different. And we bring um, divergent thought to the forefront of teams we of the work that we do they're they're often inventors they're often you know successful business people like i said you've got your richard branson look at him he's seriously dyslexic and and charles schwab you know he's he's got learning disabilities so what was considered a disability 
in because their brains didn't work the same as everybody else in school as what we call and everybody else is called neurotypical now this is a vocabulary lesson right oh wow uh, i have not heard <laughs> the word neurotypical yeah neurotypical are the people who are like everybody else in this research i realized that i'm actually neurodivergent also i am dyslexic adhd and I have central auditory processing disorder. And now when you ask, where did you come from? How did you get there? I only recently really pulled it together because I'm, I'm doing some work on my origin story and, and what I believe mm -hmm. and my, my philosophy. And it started for me now when I really started to think about it noise, even from the time I was a small child, my, my father would be in the basement hammering. He was a, he built cabinet. He was a cabinet maker. And every time he'd hit the nail, I would jump. I remember I was probably four or five years old. And I remember that I clearly remember it was, and I remember thinking, I know he's going to hammer again in a second or two. And yet I still jump. Why? And, and just take that through my, my life and I realized noise and cacophony of sound has been a problem for me my entire life. And then my son got diagnosed with central auditory processing disorder. And I went, oh my gosh, when my son got diagnosed with dyslexia, the doctor said the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because he had test assessed me right afterwards. So I, 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 I really feel that the people who think differently often are misunderstood and today's hiring practices often are set right from the get-go to exclude them, uh, even with artificial intelligence, because they're not, they're not necessarily going to be able to make eye contact. They're not going to necessarily know how, what to put on the resume, resume unless they get an expert help. Sometimes they're the people who end up after high school just playing video games in their mother's basement because they can't even get a job. They're seriously unemployable. And so, um, and, and there's a lot of reasons why that is. It's too much for the podcast. That'll be in my book. <laughs> but okay. it's just, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but it's just something I feel mm -hmm. very strongly about. And it's it's um, a societal problem. It's a culture problem in that we focus well, on the deficits instead of people's gifts. So I believe in a gifts mindset. Focus on our gifts. So let's look at it this way. A leader at whatever level he or she may be at, is looking to hire. Mm -hmm. And they bring people in, whether they're the first level of screener, and let's hopefully also talk about human resources being at the first level of screening. Right. If they need to recognize something in a neurodiversity, what is something they can look for? Um, what issues do they need to focus on, I guess? And how can they look to see whether that neurodiversity that that particular person has can actually contribute? So what, and I'm going to use the, the, the most challenging situation, like the okay. most extreme, because many get through the process and get hired and then they hide because they don't want anybody to know about their And then that, that's a situation that's a whole nother aspect because they don't, they shouldn't be hiding. Right. But they're, yeah, but it happens because mm -hmm. they're afraid. They grew up to being told, you know, that's a problem. That's, there's, that you're broken. There's something wrong there because you can't read fast mm -hmm. as everybody else, you know, so they hide. Um, so 
let's say they're looking for um, innovative talent in IT, or um, they're looking for some excellent coders that really think outside the box and can help to build their teams of, for skill sets to, to really make their product or their company successful, right. stay ahead of their competition. What a lot of companies are starting to recognize is certain personalities, especially personalities with OCD or autism spectrum, are highly skilled in those areas. So we've got financial com companies in the finance sector, companies in the software engineering sector. They're now saying, wait a minute, we, we've heard about this. We know that there are people out there who, who are are excellent for this job, but we can't even get them through the interview process. So what they're doing is they are doing instead of formal interviews where, you know, you, you go into the interview, you have to make eye contact and so on, you know, you have to have all that perfect interview stuff in hand. They're doing like on the job, hands on, we're going to give you a problem. We're going to see how you solve it. We're going to give you a, a mini project. We're going to see what you do with it. And they're essentially doing you incorporating into their interview process okay. a more hands-on process of assessing what someone can do. And also, usually these processes take about a week or two weeks in the interview. So it's time consuming. But the payoff is amazing because when they when they you know hit payday and they get they they get an employee that may not have interviewed well and passed, you know, the first round because mm -hmm. of poor eye contact, even in Zoom or, or, or they don't express themselves well, or they come across, um, you know, odd, like to the, mm -hmm. to the average person, they mm -hmm. might say, oh, no, we don't want that person. But when you put them in a situation where you can assess their skills hands on, then you really know what they can do. And you learn about oh. the person before you hire them. So let me ask this. Are companies, and there's two ways I want to go here, are companies doing this with those that are on the spectrum, if you will, and those that appear to be what most people would refer to as normal? Are they putting everybody through that same level, and are they noticing any difference? To my knowledge, they are not. I've not, I've, you know, in, in the work that okay. I've done and in what I've seen out there, I'm doing a lot of reading on the topic right now, a lot of research. I'm interviewing mm -hmm. people who are doing this. Like I've, I've interviewed some yeah. people who are um, head of the initiative for IBM. Um, there's a cohort from Australia and the United States, I believe it's St. Louis area, that mm -hmm. are, are doing this, um, bringing in people in the spectrum to work on projects. Um, my understanding is it's almost happening right now in a bubble. In the bubble. Okay. It is. And that is where there's some concerns, you know, that are bubbling up from that. So what's happening is, you know, they're saying, oh, let's do an initiative to bring in, you know, neurodiversity onto our teams. Let's bring in these divergent thinkers. Let's bring in people in the autism spectrum. And, and until they start to see results popping out of that bubble, they probably won't do the other part. Correct that, or they feel like they don't need to, right? Right. Because it, right. They don't but, need to now until they start to see those results becoming, wow, that's pretty impressive. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And the other side of that is because it seems to be happening in many cases, not always, in a bubble, they may not 
be doing the work on their corporate culture that needs to be done to make sure that when they bring people in who are different, who think differently, who may not be able to be in front of a a group in a conference room and present, you know, beautifully like everybody else. They're the ones who like, I just want to be with the screen off on Zoom and I'll maybe talk and maybe not. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yet they're brilliant at, at their job. So what's happening in many cases is the neurotypical the average person that's on the team, and I mean average in the sense of they're more able to um, follow co- company cultural rules. Um, they're more able to um, function according to the the um, protocols of the environment. So then somebody comes in that's very different, and they're like, "Wait a minute, who is this guy?" And we're not comfortable with this behavior because. Most of us are more comfortable around people who are like ourselves and that follow social norms like everybody else. And so because this groundwork with the company culture is not being done with the majority of the people, what's majority of the employees, what's happening is there's been some people brought in that don't do well on the team, end up getting shutting down or end up worse being bullied and harassed and then leaving or asked and leaving yeah yeah and so what i'm realizing i started this work with my idealistic hat on and then what i realized was this is a beautiful thing that we're starting to recognize differences in cognition and how our brains work and why that's beneficial in the workplace and on teams and we also need to make sure that everybody understands that and it doesn't happen in a bubble, which will, of course, benefit, as you know, with the work you do, all corporate culture. Right. Um, right. Literally, the last 48 to 72 hours, I've heard a couple of news stories. And they're talking about coming out of the pandemic that we are in. And as we're coming out of the pandemic, the number of jobs that are there and not being able to find people. And there are actually HR groups now are going back to people they interviewed or people they didn't even interview mm-hmm. two, three, four years ago mm-hmm. are now calling those people up and saying, hey, would you be interested? Are you in still involved? Would you be open to? They're going back to people looking for that. Now, is that a sign that they may be open to something more on a neurodiverse team as well? Or what are you, what are your thoughts there? Yes, that is part of what's going on. So even before the pandemic, for instance, the software world, my husband's a software engineer. They can't find people to hire. They just can't find people to hire. And, you know, IBM was dealing with that. Ernst and Young was dealing with that. Um, SAP, all these companies, realized we need innovation. We need um, out of the box thinking. We need people who can who can help us keep with the rate of change. And we can't find people to fill the positions. So that's, I, that's what gave this legs. That's what gave this movement, this initiative for neurodiversity in the workplace or autism in the workplace. I don't, I don't like to focus just on autism though, because it's more than that. It's, it's mm-hmm. all kinds of, of divergent thinking, not just yeah. autism. Um, not just the autistic spectrum. 
Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. And yet there's, it's, it's much bigger than that. So neurodiversity is like the umbrella and um, neurodivergence is the umbrella and autism is one piece of that under the umbrella, you know? So, um, it, some research was started, uh, Stanford has a whole program, uh, Stanford university, they've done a lot of research with this and I'm not sure exactly who came first, <laughs> who started it first. I know SAP was one of the forerunners in this mm -hmm. and they started looking at this, at this population of people in the spectrum and divergent thinkers, because they realized there's talent there that we've been ignoring because they don't fit the mold. They're not like everybody else, you okay. know, we're, and, and so it started because they couldn't fill positions. Yeah. That, one that's, of the well, that, that's, the, and that's fascinating to start to understand how different organizations are looking at it. And I'll be curious to watch uh, the Society for Human Resource Management, SHRM, and how they begin to approach the neurodivergency uh, aspect of things. Uh, that's going to be, I think, fascinating in the next couple of years as that starts to go. Exactly. Uh, looking at the types of people they're bringing on, how they're making sure they're doing it, uh, and then still doing it legally so they're protecting everybody. So exactly. that's, that's going to be a hard part. Yes. Um, how can we support, what can employees do within the organization to help support the neurodivergency? I'm going to back back up a little bit with that. Okay. Okay, because if we if we think about what happened with the pandemic where most of us had to go remote and we had to work here through Zoom and even in some sectors it wasn't required to turn on the camera. I mean my husband is working from home since the pandemic started as a software engineer. They're always in team meetings and I walk in and there's no faces. Now I don't care for that, but that's the way they do it. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a panacea for people in the autistic spectrum because they, they know, especially they know that they've grown up in school and they know that they're a little, they, they're different in the world than everybody else. Yep. And so they worry about, you know, their, facial expressions. They might worry about if they have any, what they call stimming behaviors, you know, do they, do they do repetitive movement at all? And, and do they have to watch how they, they carry themselves? All those things. Are they reading other people's facial expressions correctly? Is it a day that they, you know, I really, I really can't deal with people interaction today. My anxiety is too high. Well, if they're on the other side of the, of the team's, you know, window, a lot of that is not nearly as difficult as if you're in a building, a corporate space with open concept, they call open office environments where there's no more walls. You're expected to work at a table and across from you with somebody else working. All those things are extremely stressful, not only for introverts, but for people who are divergent thinkers and struggle with sound and extra sound mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. i would uh, with my central auditory processing disorder i would go nuts you know so i want quiet so the reason i'm saying is before the pandemic most of those things weren't even 
given an inch of thought. And if someone needed those accommodations, they were like, well, you know, this is the way we've always done it. And, you know, you need to be able Famous to words. call, you need to be able to follow corporate rules. Well, when you ask, how do we support them the same way we've been supporting people through the pandemic? The pandemic in many ways, I'm just writing an article about this now. It's, it's in the final edit mode. The pandemic literally gifted an entire group of people who are divergent thinkers, who have sensitivity to sound, who struggle with too much extroversion and social interaction, who may struggle with social norms. On the other side of the screen, it's great. In the pandemic allowed them to work in their own space, which they could make comfortable for them instead of having to fit into wherever their desk was in the corporate space. And especially, you know, as I've been working with corporations and, and talking with, with um, you know, company leaders, well, in our company, we don't have standing stations. You know, that's just crazy. We don't have standing desks and that would never fly. We're very conservative. Well, you know, if you're working from home, you can have a standing station. I do. I mean, I'm not using it at this moment, but I, I often do when I'm working or writing um, or even doing these um, Zoom trainings. So what we can do to support them now is allow what we've learned about what humans prefer over the past year, what's made them more comfortable working remotely, even though we do want some in-person time. Mm -hmm. We thought those accommodations were impossible a year and a half ago or you know, not like it always had been done, or you should be able to do this yeah. as an employee. And now that we've we've done it for for the world, well, now maybe to support these the, the people who are divergent thinkers or who benefited from that, we then look at okay, what worked for you when you were working at home? Can you continue to work at home? Or can we facilitate those same accommodations in the workplace? For example, someone who has problems with sound. They might go into a meeting with earbuds, not music playing necessarily, not, not listening to some hip hop music. No, just, just earbuds to block mm -hmm. out the extraneous noise. Whereas that would have been looked at as odd, you know, two years ago. Now they'll say, okay, that's something that doesn't hurt this person's job performance. And what's wrong with it? Nothing's wrong with that. Let them let that accommodation happen. So it's so, it's taking the flexibility that we learned to bring it in into the future of work. So what do we do with employees? Let's take your example of what you just talked about, uh, the employee going in with earbuds, whether they're doing white noise or noise canceling or whatever they have. And there's another employee in the room who takes a little offense to that, says, look, I can't listen to my music, but they can. Well, they're not listening to me. How do we... How do we educate other employees on neurodivergency? How, what are ways that we can educate them? I, I believe that it's, this, it's that same cultural work that we, we do. And now we include, when we're working with corporate culture, mm -hmm. we don't just talk about personality styles. We don't just talk about, um, you know, okay, communication skills. We don't just tie all in isolation. We, we, as part of that cultural training that we do, cultural, cultural, um, let's say foundation that we set. Right. Now, here is how we are as a company. For instance, Ultranauts only hires people who are neurodiverse. So they're on the whole opposite end of the extreme. 
part of their company culture is everybody gets what they call a bio deck. And so every day they can use that bio deck, which gives, you know, basically a summary of the person, what their preferences are, et cetera. It also allows them to share with their team first thing in the morning. This is a day where I'm, I'm good and I'm cool and I'm comfortable. And, you know, my preferred way of communicating today is email or my preferred way is chat. And um, I'm fine with the camera on today or no, today's a day. I just, you know, there's too much stress in my life. I can't have the camera on. So it's, it's, it's cultural work. And that's the piece I feel like is missing right now, Greg. I've, it's like when you talk about the teamwork advantage, and I know you do this, you, you, your, your whole bit is about company culture, is in that training, we now need to include the understanding of cognitive differences, of how different brains work, and that this is something that brings an advantage to the team, not a disadvantage. Um, that corporate understanding has to be done. And where what I recognized is the same thing happened in education. So in the early 1990s, schools decided to take the kids with special needs out of the closet, down the hall, in the basement, the room with no windows, and I know this, I taught in those rooms, and bring them into the general classroom. There's still people who disagree with that practice. However, I've seen the immense benefit to everyone with inclusion. And we talk about inclusion in our corporate culture, inclusivity mm -hmm. in our teams. Well, it's the same thing. And what I saw happening, and I see this happening now in corporate, is the people who meant well, the people who saw this as important, the people who saw the value, let's just bring these kids into the general classroom. And they did it quickly without working the school culture, without helping all the other teachers and even administrators and principals understand the benefit to that. And so what happens is all of a sudden these different students are in their classroom and they're angry because they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And then, and that's kind of what really solidified my commitment and my passion to help corporations with this because it's the same problem and it's the same solution. We need to work the foundation before we bring yeah. in the, the, the initiative. This goes all the way back to uh, Tuckman's form, storm, norm, and perform mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Because when they're in the forming stage, there's questions. In the storming stage, there's, there's sidelines and people are going in different directions. And so what happens is when you start to blend it in without building the right foundation forming first, you're going to hit that storm phase that's going to be a lot harder. Whereas mm -hmm. if they build that foundation first, then the storm phase will still happen. It just won't be as devastating. Right. And then they can move into norm and then to perform. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that's what I'm starting to notice. Even in the television commercials I'm watching with kids in schools and uh, everything, I'm starting to see more of it. And I think the inclusion is powerful. What scares me is the other side of that, people saying, why do we have to cowtail to just a few people. And that right. bothers me. And I don't know how to overcome that. Well, when we've been faced with that in education, we went to the data and to the research to show this works. This improves everybody's skill set. And we have some of that now in the corporate sector. Good. So for instance, um, let me 
pull over. I want to make sure I get my statistics correct here. But when we, we look at Ernst & Young, for example, they did the comparison. Um, the teams that were neurodiverse, they had teams that they brought in the initiative, they had teams that were neurodiverse, and then they had teams that were, they considered their average teams the traditional. they always had. Neurotypical or whatever, yes. Um, I believe there probably were some neurodivergent thinkers on their teams always, but they were masking their behaviors or they knew how to not let them show and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, what they found, they were worried about, will this take away from productivity? Will we lose time? Will, we, will our teams be hurt by having to accommodate these people who are different? You know, like, you know, they're going to drag mm -hmm. us down. And what they found instead was the quality, efficiency, and productivity of the teams did not change. In other words, it did not get worse. And what got better was the innovation process improvement because these divergent thinkers, some of them because they, they're, they're so OCD or they're so, you know, this, they want to find the quicker and easy, easier way to get something done. They were coming up with ways that saved time, right? Because of, of their, their brain, the way the brains work. And so they, Ernst and Young was one of the first ones to, to put out this comparison and say, we got more innovation, more process improvement, and our team saved time. We got things done faster. This is working. Let's keep with this initiative. Um, SAP, they have an autism in work, at work program and they also collected the data and they found by including, whether it was people in the spectrum, you know, autistic or including divergent thinkers on their teams, they had increased patenting. They had radical innovation. This is right out of the studies. And their profits improved. They had higher profits because of the radical innovation and the increased patenting. So the advantages are now being um, documented and, and proved, indicated. I hate to say prove when it comes to research because we all know that research can be manipulated. But it's indicating that this is a really good thing. And this is why we're seeing more and more um, interest in the neurodiversity of companies. I mean, it's, it's trending up. You go to, you know, to go to Google, Google analytics and, and you can see, you know, what are the search in this? It's trending up. What is this neurodiversity? Some people don't know what it is. Um, it's, it, but we're interested because we are seeing that this is, this is helping companies and we want to be up, up to, um, up to par up to with them too. We want the ROA too. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. Yep. We could go on for this for hours, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's just, there's no doubt about it. And we're not going to solve it overnight. Um, things like this take time. Mm -hmm. And it takes patience on both sides to mm -hmm. realize that it's going to take time. It's not going to happen in the next one, two years, even. No. It's going to take five, 10. It's going to take almost a generation, possibly, before mm -hmm. things really get into, into focus that direction. And when we focus on it, it ties into the culture. And so we have to build it into our culture. We have to build it into the way that we lead. Um, and then we have to also build it into our team. So it, it really does fit to the teamwork advantage concept. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. In, in closing, Susan, what is one thing that you would like to say to managers of frontline employees today as it relates to neurodivergency? I would like to encourage managers and frontline leaders 
to consider the advantages, to not get fixated on what maybe a talented employee is doing incorrectly. Instead, focus on what they are doing really well and help to maybe even job sculpt so mm-hmm. that they are able to succeed, to understand that everyone brings their talent to the company and the world. And that if we can get out of our tunnel vision as to how we think it should be and be more flexible, like we were forced to be over the last year, we can really excel on our teams and in our companies and do a much better job of staying competitive and keeping up with the rate of change. Because these divergent thinkers, they're the ones that are our innovators. Remember, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Steve Jobs, they were divergent thinkers. Now they were exceptional. However, we have those people in our companies. Yeah, we absolutely do. Yeah. Susan Fitzell, CSP, thank you so much for joining us on the Teamwork Advantage. It's been a privilege to have you here with us today. You know, once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, you can gain skills that are impactful ideas that you can act on immediately. And Susan has shared some of those with us today. Until next week, remembering, having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know you're not average. So make today and every day an excellent and exceptional day. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.